good news. As a Christian, the enemy doesn't have much actual power against you. Sad news. Most Christians today don't know how to protect themselves against the power he does have, which is why many battle things like insecurity, shame, offense, you name it. But that's about to change for you. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. So I'd love for you to join me live sometime. We're here on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Okay, let's go to a verse that I preach from a lot, 1 Peter 5, 8, it's the Apostle Peter speaking to Christians, he says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you followed me for a while, you've read my book, Shut Up Devil. You've heard me talk about this verse before. Like I said, I teach on it a lot. You've heard me talk about the significance of why Peter likens the enemy to a lion. I also share in the book how the name devil in Greek is diabolos, which is a job description, like most names in the Bible, it's a job description of what the enemy does. Diabolos means slanderer. You've heard that word before, right? Slander. It means to make a false statement in order to destroy someone's reputation. Now remember, Peter is speaking to believers and he's telling them to stay alert because the slanderer is seeking to destroy their reputation. So that begs the question, what is a Christian's reputation? Well, the Bible says in Galatians 3.27 that anyone who has said yes to Jesus is clothed in Christ. Ephesians 4 says that believers have put on Christ. However you want to say it, it means that Christians share the character, the reputation of Christ, which the Bible says is truly righteous and holy. I know maybe I said a lot there, so let me just recap it by making it personal to you. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you received his reputation, his character. You were put in Christ, so you became truly right and holy. That's now the basis of your standing with God. And right up front, I will tell you, that is your ultimate protection against the enemy. But right standing or righteousness, as it's called, is so confused among Christians today. So I'm going to explain this by making it really personal or practical. Let's say a decade ago, you were addicted to some substance. Well, before you were a Christian, the enemy could use that truth to accuse you and condemn you and say you're breaking God's laws. And his accusation would have some merit. But when you believed in Jesus, your sins were immediately forgiven. The Bible actually says that your sin nature was cut out of you and you were given a new nature, not based upon what you've done or even what you do. You were given the nature of Christ. So now, though the enemy may still accuse and say you were addicted to drugs, this means you can't do thus and so, his accusations actually have no merit. 
in Christ, they have no merit. They mean nothing about your position before God because you have been made right in God's sight. Now, of course, it doesn't have to just be something from a decade ago. It could be something from yesterday. It could be something that you're sitting on right now, that you're battling today. As a Christian, the enemy can no longer separate you from God. You have to get that. Romans 8.39, look it up. It's clear about it. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God. No sin, no struggle, no body, no battle. No, nothing can separate you from God anymore because Jesus' righteousness now defines you. So since the enemy doesn't have any actual power over the Christian in terms of changing their standing before God, he instead works as a slanderer to get us to believe that we aren't who God says that we are and thereby give up our authority. Hear that again. The enemy has no power over you as a Christian except to convince you with lies that you aren't who God says that you are, that you aren't righteous in Christ. So the question is, why does that matter? What does that do to us when he questions that? Well, it does everything. It's the source of all our mind games. When you believe you are someone who is wrong, you live in shame. When you believe something in your life means that God can't love you, you live in insecurity. When you believe that something you did means that God can't forgive you or won't forgive you, you live in fear. You can name any negative emotion or feeling, and you can link it back to some lie that tells you that you aren't who God says that you are. And that works itself out from your beliefs to your behaviors to the rest of your life. It all trickles down from the head. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart is the core of you. It's who you are, your nature, your character, your reputation. So guard that above all else, the Bible says, because what you believe about yourself determines everything else. Well, in Christ, your heart, who you are, again, is defined as righteous. This is why when we get to probably the most famous passage in Scripture about spiritual warfare, which is Ephesians 6, verse 11, talks about the full armor of God. Paul says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, of the slanderer. Then he goes on and he lists six pieces of this armor, each a quality that we have in Christ. The first and foundational is a belt of truth. That's what tells us who we are and what we have. That leads to the second piece of the armor, which is a breastplate of righteousness. Now, I have an entire e-course on the armor of God where I go through each piece of the armor. I give you the historical, spiritual, and practical applications. I'll put a graphic here on the screen from the e-course so that you can visualize the kind of breastplate that Paul was talking about. There you see it. As the armor, 
the breastplate was one of the most beautiful and obvious pieces. It couldn't go unnoticed. It was scaled with plates of bronze or iron, which wrapped around the soldier's torso. And this made it glisten in the sun when the soldier marched around. It also made it super heavy. It was said to be 40 pounds or more. But it was heavy because of what the breastplate was meant to do, which was to protect the vital organs, most importantly, you guessed it, the heart. So take what we just learned here and consider the instruction of Proverbs 4.23 to guard your heart in light of the breastplate of righteousness. The guard of your heart is Christ's righteousness, which is the confidence in your good standing before God made possible by the finished work of Jesus. This is our ultimate protection against the slanderer, the devil, because it repels the devil's darts of doubt and does God really kind of questions. I think we've all heard a question like that, right? Does God really forgive you of that past? Does God really love you with that issue? Are you really qualified enough to be blessed by him, be healed by him? Will he really meet your needs? Well, without knowing your righteousness in Christ, the enemy will answer every one of his own questions with all the reasons why God shouldn't forgive you and love you and why you shouldn't be qualified and why he shouldn't provide for you and on and on. He will argue away every promise of God with a reason you shouldn't have it or don't deserve it and cue the mind games. Trust me, it takes one to know one. That's what I battled so much. But according to Christ's righteousness, those questions are answered not by our own merit, but by Him. God forgave you because of Jesus. You are qualified because of Jesus. You are worthy of all of His promises because of Jesus. Now, in saying all of this, I have to tackle one of the enemies greatest deceptions regarding righteousness. We've been conditioned for so long that we have to achieve to succeed and do to get that our natural minds tend to believe righteousness is about our performance. And this is so sneaky because it sounds so holy. Essentially, the enemy will say, if you behave good enough, follow all the laws, then there will be nothing to be accused of, and therefore you will be protected. And that actually sounds right, doesn't it? It actually sounds kind of godly. But it's sneaky because he gets us to work to be righteous, knowing that we can't do it on our own. <laughs> he knows we'll fail, and when we do, then he accuses us all over again. And on and on and on it goes. Till you're beat down. About a year ago, I heard from a lady who was basically at her wit's end because she was part of a church that is basing her entire salvation on the color of her fingernail polish, among some other just goofy stuff. I mean, literally, people there were telling her that if she wears anything other than pink or white fingernail polish, she's going to hell. I think in that area where they're telling her this, that's how they said it. She's going to hell. 
I don't have a kinder way of saying it, except what a slap in the face to Jesus' suffering. People have reduced the way to righteousness down to what kind of fingernail polish somebody wears. And maybe that's an extreme example. But many of us kind of believe similarly and don't even realize it when we're making, maintaining the faith about anything other than a sincere belief in the death and resurrection of Christ. Romans 3.22 says that we are made right with God when we believe in Christ. Simple as that. But when we say things like, even spiritually healthy things, like you have to read your Bible 10 minutes a day in order to be a real Christian. You have to attend church X number of times in order to be a real Christian. You can't eat that. You must think this way. And then we wonder why Christians have so much battle in their minds, so much stress, so much exhaustion. We bait people in with a promise of freedom in Christ and then tell them that they have to follow a thousand one laws in order to maintain it. Now, I'm not saying that some of that stuff isn't good or wise to do. It's healthy to read your Bible. It's good to pray. It's good to attend church. All of that stuff is good to do, but none of it is the source of righteousness. None of it itself saves you. Folks, learn from my life. Like I said, I've lived this. Takes one to know one, as I said earlier. When I got saved, I loved Jesus for how he cleansed me of my past. But somehow... I believed his love for me was based upon my keeping him pleased and fixing myself of my every problem. So I turned the faith into a spiritual self-help program. I'd succeed for a while, only to fail, then succeed, then fail. It was like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And that about did me in. It'll do you in too. You will battle every insecurity, fear, discouragement, and toxic emotion known to humankind if you continue in the crazy cycle of trying to achieve anything from God. That's because you'll be in over your head trying to get something that's impossible to get on your own. You will spend your time, talent, and treasure trying to prove something that Jesus already proved, trying to do something that Jesus already did, trying to be someone that God already says that you are in Christ. Listen, if salvation is dependent upon someone having pink or white fingernail polish, then why did Jesus come? If salvation is solely based upon church attendance, as good as it is, then why did Jesus die? If salvation is about the precise amount you give back to the church and it's good to give, but then why did Jesus have to sacrifice himself? I'll give you the answer. Because humans cannot perfectly live up to any standard of law. That's why Jesus came. The law doesn't tell us how to be right with God, how to get perfect, how to be holy enough to God. It proves that we can't do it on our own. That we need to get our righteousness from another source. The law was always meant to show our need for Jesus. It worked. It was good for that effect. 
If you're trying to protect yourself from the enemy based on a bunch of do's and don'ts, you'll actually probably end up getting more enslaved to the enemy in the end. And that's because of this principle that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the law gives sin its power. Do's and don'ts actually cause more sin. How is that? What do you mean, Kyle? I thought upholding do's and don'ts is what keeps us from sin. Yet that verse is saying that it actually makes us sin. Well, in part, it has to do with the design of our minds. I'll give you this example. When I say don't think about a brownie, what did you just think about? A brownie. When you tell a kid, don't jump on the couch, suddenly their minds get consumed with thoughts about jumping on the couch. When the devil put Adam and Eve, or what Adam and Eve wasn't supposed to do in front of their eyes, that's just what they did. The law, the don'ts, consumed them until they did it, which is how they empower sin. I'm going to talk more about that next week. This is kind of an overview. We're going to get into detail about some of this next week. But for now, know that if you're living your life based upon a bunch of don't do this, be careful about that, watch out for this, you're more likely to eventually end up doing it. The better way? Focus on your freedom. That's what's taught to anyone who has to make quick maneuvers around things like pilots or skiers. There's so much going on as they're flying or going down a slope that if they constantly are thinking or looking for a tree not to hit or an obstacle not to crash into, they're actually going to crash into that obstacle. So instead, they're told to focus on the path before them, the freedom that they have on the road in front of them. That's what keeps them out of trouble and danger. I'm going to also talk more about that next week. It's really fascinating. But it's going to be the same for you in your spiritual life. If you base your righteousness on everything you can't do, you will more likely end up doing it all. Maybe not right away, but it wears you down and the pressure beats you down until you're worse than before. And this is because, again, as Paul says, laws, do's, and don'ts were meant to produce failure so that we realize we can't depend on ourselves. Law gives sin its power. That's why when we try to live performance-based Christianity, we get on what I call the crazy cycle of self-righteousness. And here's a chart that I made to represent it. For those of you who are listening, this is another one of my cycles. You'll see curved arrows going down and a curved arrow going up. At the top, it says law. At the bottom, it says sin. And kind of in the middle between sin and law is the word shame. They each feed each other. The law 
empowers sin. Sin empowers shame. And then what ends up happening is when the devil says, oh, look what you've done, and then you feel bad about that, that's the shame, he then says, oh, but try harder. (laughs) Do better. Put you in more law. Knowing that you can't perfectly live up to it, you're going to fall, so it puts you in more shame, beats you down, follow the rules even more, round and round it goes until you're worn out, burned out, and almost taken out, which is just what the devil wants. That's why you have to get this truth I'm talking to you about, that it's not your self-righteousness that does anything to make you good with God or protect you against the enemy's accusations, but it's Christ's righteousness. It's what he's already done that you get to rest in by your faith in that, your faith in him. So I know maybe I'm being repetitive here, but it really takes a renewal of the mind to grasp this because our natural minds, as I said, we are programmed to do. Your righteousness as a believer in Christ tells you who you are, not what not to do. Like a breastplate, it works as a protection against the devil's attacks, but it also ends up transforming us to be like Christ. Christ's righteousness points us to the model of Jesus. It says, this is the way, this is the path, this is the freedom which actually empowers you to become more like him. Even Jesus, he didn't give us a new list of thou shalt nots. He actually said, I give you a new commandment, love God and love people. It wasn't a don't, it was love God and love people. The Ten Commandments and the rest of the 613 laws in the Old Testament show why people need Jesus. When Jesus arrived, He didn't give more don'ts or thou shalt nots. He said, here's the path to focus on, love God and love people. And there's a whole lot of freedom in that. If you're going to focus on anything, that's the path. Okay. Now that we've laid the foundation, let's get practical about how righteousness protects us in the moment of an attack or a battle. Let's say tomorrow. You're driving to your commute. Go into the office and someone cuts you off on I-4. That's the interstate that runs right through Orlando here. Well, your old flesh rises up and maybe something slips out of your mouth that isn't so holy. When your anger finally subsides against that idiot on the road, And suddenly you start to hear a real Christian wouldn't talk like that. And you feel bad. Maybe even start to question your entire salvation. This happens too much. Am I even a real Christian? Well, how does righteousness protect you in that situation? Does it mean that you should just keep on doing it and that God doesn't care? No, I'm I'm not saying that at all. But it does mean that your failure didn't suddenly change your status before God as if you have to get saved all over again. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you 
or that he suddenly won't heal you or bless you or provide for you. That's what the enemy will say. He'll try to get you back in performance mode. He might say something like, to be back in God's good graces, you got to lock yourself in a prayer closet and pray for two hours. Got to do 10 acts of service. You got to fast for three days. Cancel hosting that Bible study because you're not qualified enough to talk about the faith. That's what the enemy will say. All to get you back into self-righteousness. So the way you protect yourself from going down the slope of condemnation and despair whenever you blow it is you repent. Now, wait a minute, Kyle. Time out. Didn't you just say that our standing before God isn't about performance, and isn't that exactly what repentance is? Isn't it about changing our ways and our behavior? Well, that's what many people say, sure, and certainly repentance changes us, yes. But it's not done through our own willpower. Repentance is the Greek word metanoia that comes from two Greek words, meta, which means change, and nous, which means mind. So put together, repentance is a compound word that means, first and foremost, a change of mind. In the New Testament, when Peter and Paul tell people to repent for the forgiveness of sins. They aren't telling people, first stop sinning, then God will forgive you. That would be ridiculous. No, they're saying, change your mind about who Jesus is. Change your mind from unbelief to belief. Put your faith in what he did. And the grace will be applied to you, which results in the forgiveness of sins, which changes you from the inside out basically effortlessly. So when you mess up, it's not about you suddenly conjuring up enough willpower to somehow stop messing up. It's first changing your mind about what the mess up means. It's remembering who you are. It might be saying, Lord, I messed up. I know. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your righteousness. I don't want to do this anymore. Empower me to walk in your way. Then you move on with confidence in who you are in Christ. You do that, and I'm telling you, the enemy completely loses his power over you. Condemnation, shame, insecurity, those mind games, fear, anxiety, so much of that stuff goes away. But also, you end up actually living better and closing doors to the enemy because you're not so focused on what you can't do that you end up doing those things over and over. And next week, you're going to want to tune in because I'm going to show you some fascinating science, actually, that backs all of this up, too, that, that just backs up the way God made us. Okay, let me take you back to the breastplate of righteousness, which guards our heart. I have one last crucial revelation from it. So as you see there on the screen, I want you to imagine it on a soldier. The breastplate was the only immovable piece of the armor. It was so fastened to him that nobody could take it off. And so it is with your righteousness in Christ. It's not merely a quality about who you are, but it becomes who you are which is immovable, no body and no battle can take it away from you. 
So as Paul says, stand there for having put on the breastplate of righteousness. See yourself covered in its beauty and glamour, protected by its weight. Go about your everyday life knowing that as a believer, you reflect the sun, the S-O-N. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You look like Jesus because you're covered in him. That's your greatest protection because in Christ, the enemy has nothing to accuse. Now, friend, if you aren't yet in Christ, you aren't yet a Christian, you haven't put your faith in him and what he did, all you have to do is do it. The Bible says that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died and resurrected, that he is Lord, and you will be saved. So you can just say, God, I believe that. I believe Jesus is your son, that he died for the forgiveness of my sins and resurrected to give me new life. Accredit your righteousness to me, Lord. You can pray that right now. You could pray it on your pillow tonight as you think about this message. But that belief is the starting point of Christianity and an intimate relationship with God. Now, for those of you who are Christians, may you find peace and power in the righteousness you already have in Christ. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to plead for it. You don't have to pray for it. You already have it. So may you know it's not merely a quality about you, but it's who you are. Never back down from that. Okay, in this message, I spoke of one of the six pieces of the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness. And I hope it was revealing to you to see it illustrated, but also how it practically and spiritually applies to you. Well, I do this same kind of thing with the five other pieces of the armor, like the belt of truth and the shield of faith in my Armor of God e-course. Here's a minute about it and how you can get in, and then I'll be right back. Are you in the middle of a mental, emotional, or spiritual struggle? Here's some good news. God has provided a way to beat that battle today. Yes, you have access right now to spiritual armor, complete with six supernatural weapons that ensure victory in any circumstance. Ready to powerfully access and activate this armor? I've created an in-depth interactive e-course to show you how. The Armor of God e-course includes six dynamic video lessons in which I reveal how to effectively use the weapons outlined in Ephesians 6 to radically shift from chaos to calm, fear to faith, sorrow to joy, and battle to triumph. It's an eye-opening, illustrated exploration of the armor of God that unlocks all the victory Jesus died to give you. This e-course isn't just something you watch, but it's an immersive experience with which you interact. Each lesson includes a 16-minute video teaching, a lesson guide with reflection questions and application tips, and a discussion forum where I interact with you. The Armor of God e-course is available for you to join in on today. Simply visit kylewinkler.org armor to get started. And because the six-lesson e-course streams entirely online, there's nothing you have to wait for to arrive. Begin instantly from any internet-connected computer, tablet, or smartphone. 
and continue at your own pace from wherever you are. You no longer have to be under attack, but you can live on the attack. And I wanna show you the way. Join me now to discover how to access and activate the armor of God to beat your battles today. Visit kylewinkler.org armor to get started. And I'll see you there. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.